0: Very good, thank you There's lots of things uh, It's very possible to forget And that was my first one for the day I am really glad to be here And a part of what All the different things that God is going to do Through our morning And I'm glad that you can be a part of it I want to use the scripture in Psalm 95 as our call to worship. It's, it's a way to kind of draw our focus together away from ourselves to the good word of the gospel, to the community of faith that God is building right here, uh, right today. So let's read responsibly Psalm 95. Uh, I'll begin. It says this, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving, and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship the Lord our—let's bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. This is the word of the Lord. As you're able, let's stand and sing together. Uh, Hymn number 405 is Psalm number 90, set to music. Let us sing to the glory of God. Amen. And have a seat, if you would, please. Well, it's always my joy to welcome each of you, those of you who've joined us here in worship on site. It's a beautiful summer day in Michigan. Uh, For those who are in Honduras uh, online and others, as we're able to take what God's doing here and share that across through our live stream or recorded service, we're glad that you're a part of that as well. It's amazing to me that God, by his grace, in the reality of the spirit, moves among a group of people in one location and can open lives and doors in another location. We get to be a part of that. Isn't that marvelous? After the service today, a couple of things is going to be a little bit different. We typically have coffee, juice, donuts, a time for fellowship. We're going to continue that, so make sure to stop in and do that. I often go downstairs for a Q&A, a chance to interact and folks to ask questions. We won't be doing that because instead, I'll be heading out to Lake Makatawa. We have four folks who will be making profession of faith and we'll be baptizing them in an extension of the service, as we baptize them by immersion in the lake. So um, I was laughing with someone, I'll change from my communion costume to my John the Baptist costume. And then later tonight at five o'clock with our summer serve, I'll change to my used to be a cool youth pastor costume. And then when I get home tonight, Mary Lynn would just say, yeah, it's just the same old you, love Jesus. So it's a full day, but fellowship, no Q&A, uh, but we will, I will be heading over. And uh, I know the candidates, you'll get to meet them a little later. We'll be there, friends and family. And I'm not sure that John Bowes is ready to have all of us at his home but on the lake. But remember us if you'd like to be a part, I'm sure that's fine. We'll, just figure out things as we go. So it's a big day, like I said. The other thing that's a part of our service this morning, you can see by the setting of the table, we'll gather for communion. I'll direct you through that, but if you're online, I encourage you to take a moment and gather elements so that you can be a part of this right where you're located. I'm always anxious to help folks realize that um, communion is a matter of faith rather than church membership, so if you are looking to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we invite you to come with repentance and trust in Him. Uh, It's a matter of faith. Thirdly, with children, um, again, we encourage families in the context of your family to bring, don't bring, navigate, you do what's good for you and your family uh, with the table. Now, a couple of slides so you know some of the things happening. One is our summer serve. Um, I mentioned that real briefly, but beginning this evening, we'll have about 150 middle schoolers. Uh, We'll be gathering each night for worship and teaching, and then through the day, um, serving in the community. We do things like that. There's always need for people who will pray or perhaps help with um, uh, cooking or serving, because that's a lot of mouths to feed. Uh, folks there's just all sorts of things but this is part of our ministry at Hardaway we'll invite other churches to be a part of that so be praying and be aware now one of the things I love about Norland, Compound our facilities guy and Gary who works with this is that we could say to them what could be better than having hundred and fifty middle schoolers on campus all week and they would go, well, why don't we also invite 40 or 50 elementary age kids? So on Wednesday, we're going to do that. Our gems and cadets ministry, that's usually on Wednesday night. We do a monthly thing through the summer. Water night for them to add to the fun. And then the week after that, uh, some friends of Hardwick, Luke and uh, Kelsey Carrig, Luke was the interim pastor in Fusion. Luke and Aaron and I navigated COVID together here at Heart of Wike. He'll always have a key spot in my heart, but they'll be back from Ireland uh, where they're serving as church planter, church renewal missionaries. Uh, we'll have a barbecue, a chance to hear from them. And Luke has some particular financial needs that we're hoping we can come together and meet for them, set them up in ministry. The next thing I want to highlight, you see, I told you it's a big time. Um, We've been in process with a young man named Justin Rito uh, for the position of music director, not someone to replace Jane. Mary Lynn got a call from a friend and said, what are you getting a music director for? You've got Jane. She's wonderful. And so it's to work with Jane, but someone to direct choir, work with handbells, kind of take our music ministry uh, another step. to get to know him next Sunday at 8 a.m., we'll have kind of a walk-up choir rehearsal. If you enjoy singing, we'd ask you to get up a little early. We'll have a quick rehearsal. They'll do that piece in the service, and then he'll meet with our handbell choir to ring some. So, if you have an interest in seeing any of that, being a part of it in any way, it's one great day to get to um, know him. So, uh, Continue to pray for us in this process, and um, we'll work together and try to keep you informed. I always love to touch our vision. I believe that the God of heaven, creator of all that is, has called us in this time to invite everyone, not just you here, but everyone, to join the journey of being found in, formed by, and following day-by-day Jesus Christ. I'll be preaching a little bit on that later and what it means to be following Him as we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me segue to an expression of faith, question 124 in the Heidelberg Catechism, and again, this is a historic statement of Christian faith that um, we refer to and that helps form us in our love for Jesus we're working through its statements on the Lord's Prayer. So, let me begin the third petition. The third verb is this. What does the third petition mean? It means this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any back talk. Your will alone is good. Help us, one and all, to carry out the work we are called to, as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. You know, I love studying the history of the planet on which we live, and here's a statement in the Heidelberg Catechism that we will obey your will without any backtalk. Folks have been saying that for centuries, isn't that fascinating? Well at this moment, as an expression of that faith, I'm going to ask four folks, uh, Sophia and Javen and Marie and Ruth, to join me. Let's just kind of line up right along here. These are four folks, each with a unique story, life that has brought them to this point. Yeah, we'll just kind of line up here. and You all look friendly, okay? there. Um, each has a story. I won't go into it except to say as I've spent time with them to hear them talk about God's guidance and bringing them to this moment so that at Heart alike, we celebrate what God is doing in their life. Um, okay, well, I'll tell one. Can I do that? I was fascinated to discover, and I see a friend. How does a f- person find their way? Sophia lives in Whitehall. And it was through, as I understand the story, if I'm wrong, just keep smiling, okay? (laughs) It was through a friend, Angie, who worshiped at Heartalike, often at Fusion. You all were in the same class, got to talking. Angie invited Sophia to help volunteer with Function, Fusion Function. Sophia said, Javen, let's study the scripture together and start talking through these things. And this church where I volunteer, they've got three services. They started watching online, basically. Because, you see, Javen lives in Montague, but he works in Boston online. It's a new world. And then they started coming. And as I've had a time to share with each of them, it's been an amazing story of how God works Wherever you are, God can use you to be an instrument of His grace. Now, we're here today. Paul wrote in Romans 10, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. I'm gonna talk this morning about faith and life often having these both-and moments. Uh, It is both with our heart and with our mouth. We believe, we express, and so you've gathered in this time. Felt like I skipped over Ruth and Marie, but (laughs) she's saying, no, don't tell anyone. But we're, we're thankful the life we share together. Faith me—it was meant to be both personal and public. So I've got three questions that we'll ask of you. The first is this, and I encourage you as they hear and respond, consider your own commitment as expressed in these same questions. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God sent to redeem the world? Do you love and trust him as the one who saves you from your sin? And do you with repentance and joy embrace him as Lord of your life? I'll ask the second question and then have you affirm at the end. Do you believe that the Bible is the word of God, revealing Christ and his redemption, and that the confessions of this church faithfully reflect his revelation? And a fourth question. I'll talk about the third after you're all seated. Do you promise to do all you can with the help of the Holy Spirit to strengthen your love and commitment to Christ by sharing faithfully in the life of the church, honoring and submitting to its authority, and do you join with the people of God in doing the work of the Lord everywhere? How do you each answer? I do, God helping me. Okay. Um, Then it brings to a moment— of, uh, congregation I'm sorry we have people in the balcony cheering I think we can all cheer with great excitement to what God has done <laughs> receive that as our affirmation of each of you and our love for you but for you representing the body of Christ all three communities here at Hardwick, but the body of Christ at large across the ocean underground wherever we are. We're called to walk together, and I love the passage of Scripture in Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, it says, continue to work out your salvation. Let the implications and the shaping and the forming of it guide your every day and every step. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. I have a question to the congregation. Do those of you gathered here, do you promise to love and to support these four people, Javen, Sophia, Ruth, and Marie? Do you promise to love and support these people with your prayers, encouragement, and example? If so, answer, by God's help, we do. Let me take a moment and I'll pray. Father, we thank you for each life and each person that you've used in bringing them to this moment. Thank you that as you give us life, you call us to pass on life. And so we pray for them that your Holy Spirit might continue to guide through each day and week and month. Bless them. Thank you for the life we share together. Thank you that even now their lives are an ever-expanding chapter of your grace in this time. Bless them, guide them, fill them with your grace. We welcome them as from you and pray in Jesus' mighty name as all of God's people said together, amen, amen and amen. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. Just a quick word, and I put some information in the blog. If you got the Thursday night inform, you would have seen some reflections on baptism. As I was—after the service, we're going to take the four of them—families, friends, some of you who may want to gather as well—and we will head to Lake Makatawa. I will baptize them at their request by immersion. And that's a fairly standard expression of baptism in the church. Um, I realized I'm following the history of Hardawike, Pastor Henry Admiral. I uh, did that very thing, went to the Bow's home and baptized by immersion. To help kind of navigate that for you, um, I, one was that blog, but I give you a couple of principles. One faith is more important than form, and particularly for Protestants, um, whether the form is sprinkling or pouring or immersion. We've had freedom in that. What matters is the faith being uh, expressed, whether on behalf of the promises of God for our children or for ourselves. So a way we handle it, I'll just let you borrow this from my own denomination, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. We talk about in essentials unity, there are some things we won't compromise with. If you hold a different belief, we will be polite but you will head on. In non-essentials, liberty. That means we give people freedom to kind of see things differently. In all things, charity. So we always want to treat folks with love. We would say that what is essential in this moment is the, is the faith and the covenant sign, water baptism. What's non-essential is whether you sprinkle, pour, or immerse. I can let you in on this, we will not do any lake immersion baptisms in February. (laughs) Um, But we have the freedom to do as we need and as is um, appropriate. So if you're interested in that, I've got uh, quotations from both John Calvin and Martin Luther. If you ever want to have your Lutheran friends or family see their eyes pop read to them what Martin Luther had to say, why he advocated baptism by immersion. But he knew that the form was secondary. So we live into this faith, expressing it as God has called us in this day and time and in that way. Uh, Let's come back together and sing a great expression of faith. Hymn number 427 is How Firm a Foundation. As you're able, let's stand and sing. Amen. Have a seat, if you would, please. Let us turn to the Lord and pray. Father, thank you that because of what Jesus did on the cross for each of us, and indeed for all humanity, that the doorway to the throne of your grace has been opened. And so we come to you not simply as creatures of you, the great creator, but as adopted children that we might cry, Father, Abba, shape us, guide us, teach us, hear our requests. Father, we thank you for your presence and work through Awake Ministries for well over a century now, that in each week as we proclaim your word, as we pray, as we share life with one another, you have been present to extend your kingdom in us and to the world. We thank you that we are inheritors of that, make us faithful to pass that on as well. We pray for our sister community, Watershed, and Pastor Aaron as he preaches this day, for Pastor JB Infusion as he brings your word that it might bear fruit in your people, and for Pastor Florencio and Miss Young, where they'll meet right where I'm standing, right where we're sitting, and hear your word in Spanish this day, just a few hours. Father, we thank you that you've called us to be faithful portions of your great and mighty work, bigger than any one of us. You've called us to, as a part of this expression of your body celebration, um, thank you for the life that you've given to us and that we share, that through joy and through sorrow, through plenty or through want, for better or for worse, we navigate life together in your grace. Help us to be a people with encouraging words, with candid, appropriate honesty, with presence. Help us to share this life together. I'm going to ask you to take just a quiet moment in your own heart. If there's a a face or a name or a situation that comes to mind or that you brought here this morning, take a moment in the presence of God's people. Lift that person and that situation to Him. Make this your moment of prayer. Father, in your world, you have established by dividing and delegating, separating various aspects of authority, for you are sovereign alone. But one realm of that authority is church leadership. And so we pray for Hardaway's council, our deacons, uh, the staff, the various people who serve by leading in one way or the other, we pray that you'd guide them, that as leaders, they might hear from you and in a uh, true sense, as the reformers said, make known the mind of Christ to us in mission, uh, guide us and fill us, that we might do that. We pray for our council and for the decisions they'll be making. Thank you for the ministries that we oversee, and we wanna pray particularly for the Great Escape Day Camp. Uh, just late last week, there was a sudden, unexpected death of a camper's mother. And with no more than that, we pray for the grief in this family that, uh, and we trust that you brought what appeared to be a child to day camp that might be an opportunity to share encouragement and hope and support in a life there. We pray for summer serve and the middle school that will be present this week. We pray that amongst all that goes on, your Holy Spirit might be drawing people to faith in Jesus. Uh, And in that way, as we serve, as we sing, as uh, we do all the different things, feed, sleep, uh, that we might be drawn to a more fruitful life. Father, we thank you that the gospel is for all people. And so we pray for our missionaries, for Jake and Rachel Campan in Honduras with their family as they work with the Abundant Life School. I uh, continue to bring uh, resources and skills uh, to build up that community as they grow in Christ. And for Ruth Kamposit, uh, as she was here just this morning with profession of faith, but heads off on Wednesday to be part of a missionary team in Spain, bless and guide and encourage. Thank you for the adventure of following you, that of all the ways we could choose to live, that to live as children of a great king more exciting than we could ever imagine. And so, Father, fill us with that hope. Teach us to pray just as Jesus taught us to pray through the course of life using these words. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, amen and amen." Well, through the course of the summer, we've been trying to grow in our life of prayer. We've had a a series called Teach Us to Pray. That's what the disciples asked of Jesus. In a season of prayer, they observed him, they'd seen that as part of his life, and they came to him and said, teach us to pray. Now, Jesus also gave this same prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, that teaching publicly, people might see and hear that. This morning, I want to touch real briefly the way a life of biblical prayer shapes us. We become formed by the prayers that we pray, the the prayer life, the interaction we bring to each day, an area of our life is something that shapes us. We should be a little bit different, a little more like the image of Christ after we spend a season in prayer. And we're on what's called the third um, uh, verb, the, the third petition. I'll begin this morning by reading from the book of Matthew, the Lord's Prayer where he records it in the Sermon on the Mount. But then I'm going to also include the prayer of Jesus before he went to the cross, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let me ask you, if you could, out of respect and in this moment to stand with me as I read the Scripture. Uh, I'll begin reading from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Hear the Word of God. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Several years later, about to face the decisive moment of his life, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane called people to pray with him. They fell short. We pick up in Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the very point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground, and he prayed, My father, if it is possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is ever so weak. He went away a second time, and he prayed, my father... If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more, and he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and have a seat if you would. And let me pray for the illumination of the Spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have loved us. You are the good shepherd. We are the sheep. You are God. We are not. And yet you condescended to speak into human language. Uh, the events and experiences that you or, yourself went through. And so, as Matthew would have been present at all of these times, Holy Spirit, you called to memory, he recorded. It was preserved in amazing ways across centuries. And now, by your grace, we can again open up the scroll, translate, read, pray, study, meditate, ask questions, talk, wonder, but in the midst of this, Holy Spirit, be present to complete the work. illumine our hearts and minds that your written word might become strength and shaping life for us. Guard your people from my own confusion and brokenness, but instead make Jesus strong and powerful for us. We thank you for his grace and love and pray in his name. And all of God's people sit together. Amen and amen. Prayer should be shaping us again as we get into this third petition, we'll be looking very specifically at the your will be done, the death that that calls us to, your will not mine, but then the life, the will of a great and good God. I want to begin this morning with something of a question. Why at this part of the prayer, as Jesus teaches, does he say, both thy kingdom come and thy thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seems to me as I prayed and worked through that passage that the on earth as it is in heaven really describes both the kingdom and the will. Why do both? There must be something there. It could be that the kingdom of God, his authority and his purpose is identical to the will of God, what he wants done. They're identical and so interchangeable that would be an emphasis by repetition not just thy kingdom but I really want you to hear this thy will I want to suggest to you that there's something more nuanced and powerful here that the kingdom his rulership and his will in our lives are two similar but slightly different things and so, he does this to expand our vision of what he calls us to pray for. It's, it's nuanced that no one word will do. It takes two. Imagine, if you will, a line, and you have a point, thy kingdom. You've got that point. But if on that same line you have another point, thy will, then suddenly you're speaking to a whole longer Part of that line it's meant to expand the picture the vision we have as we pray friends there are times when reality is both and i want to just put that out there and ponder that reality is both and i am both in michigan and rooting for the new orleans saints That's reality. To only look at one or the other is to oversimplify. And when reality is both and, then we cannot reduce it to either or. It's one of those moments where no one word will do without the other. We've just got to be ready to let life be what it is, a little bigger than any one thing. perhaps. It's best reflected in both things. The Lord Jesus Christ is both fully human and fully divine. You drop either one of those and what you have left is something other than who Jesus is. You see, I've been meditating on this phrase. I don't even know where I picked it up. I'm sure it was from someone more brilliant than me. Most folks would bet heavily on Tim Keller when we take a partial truth, something that's true, but when the truth is bigger and we take that partial truth and make it the whole truth, it becomes instead an untruth. See, belief in Jesus is both personal and public, as all four of our folks saw today. In I've blogged before about the importance in our time of being able to share the gospel so that both the content is true and the delivery is Christ-like. Which is more important, the content or the delivery? Both and. Drop one, drop the other, you've misrepresented. The world is filled with examples, uh, the letter and the spirit of the law. You know, you can read the letter of the law like the Pharisees and miss the point like the Pharisees. One way that I see this happening in our world so often is with the biblical ideas of justice and righteousness. There's many people in the church who are really committed to righteousness, particularly personal holiness, stop being a bad guy. Others pounding the table for justice. Which one is more important to God? Well, let's listen to the scripture that Jesus would have meditated on in his life. Amos 5.4 from the Old Testament. God says through the prophet Amos, but let justice roll down like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. Which is more important? Friends, it's both justice and righteousness. You take away one of those, the other loses its truth and impact. So, Jesus calls us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, because he wants to expand our vision. The kingdom authority is that authority in the abstract and supreme eternal. The will for each situation is our life at the personal level. It's a both and, and both need on earth as it is in heaven the big picture the next personal decision the reason I'm so deeply committed to that is because I see this playing out in the life of Jesus that's why I wanted to include that garden of Gethsemane prayer see Jesus used this model to teach his disciples centuries later includes us how to pray, but then in the hour of his pressing need, that's exactly how he prayed. We've talked about how the Lord's prayer is meant to be a model, not a mantra. And by mantra, I mean that kind of repetition that gains points. Pray it once, you get one brownie point. Pray it twice, you get two brownie points. Pray it three times, you get how many brownie points? You get a discount, so there's four actually. You've seen those kind of things where you'll use the form of the Lord's Prayer as if it was stacking up good points for you. Jesus says, no, this is a model. And all through the Gospels, we see him praying this model. None so clear as in Gethsemane. Now, If Jesus taught his disciples and he preached it from the Sermon on the Mount, he must have been teaching this model for prayer through the course of his ministry a good three years. It's also very reasonable to assume that he had learned this prayer and prayed it through the course of his life. I don't think when Jesus stood on the Mount for that first sermon, he said, Oh, how will I teach him to pray? I I, I better come up with something good. Now, when he spoke the Lord's Prayer at the Sermon on the Mount, he had been praying it for decades, probably. We guess he was in his 30s at that point. He didn't dream this up the night before the sermon, he'd been praying it for decades. He was teaching them what bore fruit in his life. So after decades of praying this model, this framework of the Lord's Prayer, he comes to the night before his crucifixion, and how does he pray? Matthew 26, 42, Jesus went away a second time, and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, but may your will be done. Do you see how in Gethsemane, Jesus was laying hold through prayer of everything he'd prayed for his whole life. If you think he was rising to that moment in an expression of God-like power, I think you're missing the invitation to something greater. Having prayed in this way for decades— day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Now, at the decisive moment of his life, he has the prayer life that can say, Father, could be honest with God, his Father. Can you take this away? But not my will, but your will. Gethsemane is the fruit, the climax of a life Lived, bathed in prayer it's a model not a mantra he teaches us this framework so that we might let the spirit lead us and enter into a deeper prayer life so that in the moment of our challenge we're not left desperate we're left to lay hold of what as it were we've been building day by day step by step and so let me kind of poke the tiger if I can only because I love you And you know how I say from time to time, you don't have to agree with me for me to be committed to you and love you. But let me raise a thought. It's this. What does your prayer list show you about your heart of prayer? If Jesus prayed this model prayer, this framework through essentially the course of a lifetime, so that he was ready to face the Garden of Gethsemane, what does your prayer life show you about where your heart is if your prayer list look like collections of here's what I can't handle by myself then maybe the motivating force for your prayer life is please take care of it I'll treat you like the god of the gaps I can't do it so you'd better if your prayer lists look like here's what I want is the motivation of your heart, then please get it for me. Maybe you're not thinking so much about God as you are a divine butler that you wish you had. If your prayer life and prayer list is, here's what I'm scared of. I mean, the list of stuff that has me losing sleep is getting longer and longer. But it's not all that's on my prayer list if that's all it is things I'm scared of then I'm probably praying please free me from fear and don't go messing with other things I'm asking for a divine bodyguard don't have a prayer list of any sort perhaps that's because you're so aware and focused with such a good memory that that... don't pray regularly could it be that your heart is thinking something like, well, I can handle life without you, or God meant for us to take care of life, or God's not interested in me, or I haven't earned a hearing. I wanna tell you, all of those things are just not true or reflective of who God is, and we stand right now, I can sense the tension in the room, friends, We sense a a fork in the road. Because it's very easy to respond out of shame and say, oh, I blew it, I better try harder. Or, oh, maybe God doesn't want to hear from me. Or, oh, maybe I don't have access. Friends, I want to tell you, there's another fork in the road that's the gospel of God's grace. We need to die to these shame-based answers that get deep within us, that orphan voice in our heart. And we need to realize that because of what Jesus did on the cross for each of you... We are loved. And because we are loved, that love lets us look at our prayer list and hmm, what does that mean about me? What is the next step? Not how do I get in. I want to tell you, friends, I believe that when we ask ourselves these deep, penetrating questions, we have an opportunity to fall off the cliff of shame, may it never be, or to take one more step down the road of God's gospel of grace. And I invite you to more. Let this be a moment where you look over your prayer list and say, oh my goodness, that may be telling me something about myself that I'd like to see different. Hear God's invitation to a deeper, more fruitful prayer life, day by day, week by week, so that as we learn to pray in consort with God's leading, based in his word, as part of a community of faith, we might be ready for those moments. I, I hit moments in the course of a day where something lands on my desk. Well, usually it comes through the telephone. And I go, whoa. Whoa. So this is what I was praying for this morning. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. How could this be? See, I want you to hear not the shame base that drives you to try something new, but the invitation to more joy, more life, more love, more peace. This is an invitation to more, not a performance demand. You'd better do this if you're going to be a real Christian. Have you ever been in a missionary meeting where they say, how could you go to sleep thinking of those who are, no, that's not how you get motivated for missions. When you realize how much God has loved you and that he wants to take that love to people who've not yet heard, then you'll go anywhere because of the gracious, loving power of God. The call to a deeper life of prayer is not a performance demand. It begins with ask of God. Jesus, will you give me a heart of prayer, a hunger, and a yearning to know you more, to get deep rooted in your word, so that I might say no to that orphan voice. It's the orphan voice that tells us God doesn't want to hear us. It's the orphan voice that says we haven't behaved well enough to have access with God. We need to hear first the voice from the cross who says, he's mine. Dad, love them as I have loved you. So ask of God. It's more than just disciplining yourself. Oh, it'll take discipline. I have to set the alarm. But it's not only discipline. You see, we pray, thy will be done. And in our open hands, God plants a seed, and it begins to bear fruit. It's an invitation to an amazing walk of prayer. Thy will, not my will. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you that you have loved us. And sometimes when your Holy Spirit gives us a sense of how much more you have for us, we respond with confusion or shame or upset. Instead, I pray we would be deeply grounded in your grace that would look and see the difference, but hear instead the voice to more, an invitation to deeper love, to greater insight, to more peace, things that you can give. Father, we live in a world, I've seen this lately as never before, but we live in a world where the church needs to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit called gentleness and kindness. We get drawn up in the fights of the world and then we end up compromising the truth of the gospel. Give us a kindness that comes from deeply being rooted in your grace. Help us to receive it and then to share it. Move in power, Father. We thank you that there's not a person within the sound of my heart or my voice that Jesus has not loved. That Jesus is now inviting to a deeper walk of grace and of prayer. Give us that great hope and that joy. Father, bind us together as your people, as we sing together a prayer along this very way. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, and all of God's, whis- God's people whispered together, Amen and Amen. Let's remain seated, but use this as a prayer. Centuries before Jesus came to earth, God gave to his chosen people, Israel, that expanding family, a feast to remember, a feast to teach them. It's called the Passover, and they would take a lamb and sacrifice it and have a meal and recount the amazing things that God had done. After several centuries, Jesus himself came and he took all of that history and that teaching and said, that was all about me. In the same way, God enters history to teach and remind and shape us. And so I want to use question number 80 from the Heidelberg Catechism as an expression of what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper for believers. Let's uh, say this together. The Lord's Supper declares to us that all our sins are completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. It also declares to us that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, where he wants us to worship him. Paul would write to the church that he'd planted in the city of Corinth. And he would say, For I receive from the Lord what I've also passed on to you. That on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And then he said to all those in that room, This is my body, which is broken for you. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. It was part of the Passover meal, as best we're able to reconstruct. It would have been the cup at which the head of household in that meal would have then recounted the saving works of God. He would have reminded them why they ate unleavened bread, reminded them of a Passover slain. So, he would have taken that cup, told the story, and then after giving thanks, he would have said something to this effect, this is a cup, a new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For you see, whenever you and I in faith gather and eat of the bread, drink of the cup, We proclaim his death until he comes again. Because of the importance and gravity, if you will, of that moment, it's appropriate that we take a moment and examine ourselves. Not to see if we've been good enough to have earned our way to the table, but to see if we really are trusting in Christ alone and his grace. You see, this is the invitation of Jesus, the one who would say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus established the table. Jesus extends the invitation. He extends it on his terms, which are based on trust in him rather than performance for anyone else. And so it's always my joy at this moment. I'll just mention we the table is... Anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior, come and find your way here. Um, Not because of how wonderful you are or what you've done, but because we all come having need. We are excited for children, just like at the Passover meal, to grow up and find their way uh, into the fullness of God's grace in this moment. Navigate that uh, as families. In a moment... After I speak and pray a little more, I'll ask you to come down the center aisle. You'll head to the sides where there'll be two folks. Uh, Take the bread that's cut and just dip it lightly in the cup. There's uh, gluten-free bread if you have that medical need. Uh, We'll come in that way if you're unable to get up and around. uh, Catch Christine's eyes and she'll bring the sacrament to you. But we come on the terms of Jesus, to the table of Jesus. Something that struck me this week, you would have seen it in the evening, Thursday Evening Inform that included a link to an article by one of my favorite writers, Dr. Leonard Sachs, a pediatrician and researcher. And in that, he tells the story of his mother, a Jewish immigrant to the United States who raised him. She loved German art and culture. Could name all those classical musical people and artists, and writers. And he would ask her as a child, how can you love German culture? And she began to explain and teach him. And then Dr. Sachs uh, goes through that around the question of why should we teach about the Holocaust? And the question becomes this. There's two different ways to do that. There's a way to talk about what happened and who did what and how it was done. There's a way to talk about that by saying, those awful people... I'm better than them. I would never do that sort of thing. We'd better do something about those people. It's called conflict and triumph perspective of the world. But there's another way to learn about the Holocaust. It's to look at the culture that his mother loved so dearly and recognize the horrific atrocities that even people of great culture could perform. And to realize There's a problem of human nature that no matter what we've attained, or how much better we might think ourselves, we are all plagued with. We come to the table not from that side, but from this side. He ends the article quoting another person he's taught with who says, if you don't recognize your own inner Nazi, then you've missed the whole point of studying the Holocaust. If you come here without recognizing that you need a savior and that Jesus on the cross is the one, then breathe deep, quietly wait, because that's why we come. Not because we've earned our way here, but because we have a desperate need that's only met in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that in your mercy you have loved us in our brokenness and you've not cast us aside. Your love gives us value more than the world or my job or my art could ever give me. As you give me that value, you you give me a hope to live differently, to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles to share not my tips on performance, but the good news of your grace. And that in your mercy, you've given us signs and seals of your love. We'll see them in about an hour through baptism. The sign of the covenant that we belong to someone greater than ourselves. And now we come to this table where the world will just see a simple bread and cup but you've promised to meet us here by your Holy Spirit to say, welcome home, beloved child. Welcome home. Receive, then share. Take this, which is very simple, and by the promise of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit, meet us, guide us, shape us. For we pray together in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior, and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask those who will be serving, if you'd come forward, and then as they are set, um, we'll be able to, okay, and that'll be, it, it looks like um, Nella, if you have need to be seated in your seat, Nella will take care of things, okay, who's, I'll let y'all, The body and blood of Christ, I'll encourage you as they speak to you, feel free to respond and for you. People of God, deeply loved, less than perfect, come forward and receive. Amen. For the, I'll be the first the the tonight, for you. and for you. The blood of Let's breathe deep and take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you meet us right where we are. And yet you then invite us in the journey of a life on this planet of growing, of bearing fruit, of learning, of serving, of laughing, of crying. With your people, with a message for the world, but also in the presence through your Holy Spirit of you. So remind us of of this moment through the course of the week. Help us to live out of the fullness of your presence wherever you place us. Fill us with great hope. Thank you that you've loved us. Teach us to reply to that love with a love and kindness for others. If we pray in the marvelous and mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people sit together. Amen. 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 Closing hymn of grace. Savior, again to your dear name we raise. It's hymn number 932. Let's stand as we sing. Now the benediction and blessing of God that roots deeply back into the Old Testament, centuries before even Jesus, he may well have used this blessing for his disciples. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. is